You're welcome. Now you're awake. Hey, good morning, everyone. All right, there's about eight of you. Said good morning. Let's try it again. Good morning, everyone. Hey, that sounds much better. We're going to invite you just to stand. Uh, and let's, uh, let's worship the Lord with all of our hearts today and just really get into it. In fact, uh, why don't you take a minute, turn around, shake hands with somebody close to you, tell them it's good to see them in the house of the Lord today. Father 
Come on, put your hands together. Come shake the foundation.
all the energy.
kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. Nothing will be impossible with you. Lord, we honor you for that. See you. 
One more time. If you need to shout, you shout a little bit today. you need to shake somebody's hand and tell them what you have to shout about here today. God is so good to have you out in the house of the Lord today. Hallelujah. Kids, thanks for coming in and worshiping with us today. Hallelujah. Praise God. How many of you are ready for a little bit more snow? I know, some are thinking, what are we doing with all this snow? But you do live in Ohio, you know. We have been blessed for a number of years with minimal snow. And sometimes when snow actually comes, we think, what in the world is going on? But we do still live in Ohio, so praise God. You can be seated here this morning and uh, just want to make you aware of a couple of things before I bring up our speaker today. And uh, that is, well, thank you for that cheer for, uh, I'm sure it wasn't for me, but for our speaker there, but 
Praise God. Um, for those of you who utilize the church throughout the week, um, our front door is, has finally given up the ghost, it seems. So now it does not want to unlock or lock. It is just a door. And, um, you know, so if you're trying to unlock this door and come in and it doesn't let you, I've given you warning. You have to go in through the basement right now. We are working on that. Kevin's getting us our, our quote on that, and we're going to work on getting, we've been working on that, getting those doors replaced. Now we have encouragement. You know, sometimes you need a little extra encouragement to fix something, right? Like when it no longer works. Um, huh? What was that? A collection for the doors, yeah. Um, also, we have our new sign that'll be in. Uh, it's probably in already. We're going to be. We're going to have to wait a little bit to, you know, get that area prepped out there. And we've got to. So, so I miss Elaine primarily because she let, lets me know weekly that our new sign needs to be up. We have been working on it, and so it will be up soon. And so I'm so thankful for that. And I uh, just want to uh, communicate to Pastor Willie and thank him for all of his hard work on the sign and. Um, filling in for uh, uh, Miss Meredith today, and uh, he did a great job, and uh, Miss Meredith is taking a couple Sundays off. Um, you know, we, uh, we talked, and she's been here for, you know, what, three-plus years, and uh, she's missed like two Sundays, three Sundays, and, you know, uh, like two of them, she had a baby, like that was a reason to miss a Sunday. Um, no, I'm kidding, you know, so we just, we're, we're encouraging her to take time to rest also, and uh, uh, we want to just uh, bless her in that, and I'm thankful that God uh, can uh, just, you know, without missing a beat, Pastor Willie was able to step in there, and um, praise God for that, so thankful for that. Uh, Pastor Willie is going to be starting a new series coming up on March the 3rd, um, and it is entitled um, uh, Forward, Discovering God's Presence and Purpose in Your Tomorrow. So this is... It says a six-week series. Now, any series that I've seen our Wednesday night crew never really gets done in the allotted number of time because I think some of it determines how much conversation they have in a given night. Um, but anyways, this is a new series that are, that's coming up, and if you have not yet come out to our Wednesday night um, class, um, we want to encourage you. This will be Pastor Willie and, and uh, our lead elder, uh, Brother Jerry Rush, uh, that lead this, uh, and they bring a, a wealth of, of information and knowledge on that. And so want to encourage you to come out and be part of that. Um, it's starting uh, here on March 3rd, so you have a couple weeks left. Um, but if you want a book and stuff like that, you need to see uh, Pastor Willie today. He's already ordered some, but on the bulletin board outside the, the uh, sanctuary is a sign-up sheet, so please do sign up. Also, I just want to, I have been throwing uh, salt down um, that area because during the week, all of the snow and ice from the roof melts and it deposits right in our foyer or our, our area there. So I do salt that frequently, but please be careful because this morning when we came in, it was a sheet of ice um, and you can tell we're chipping away at that. It's, there's a lot of ice, but we do have it that center area and most of the ramp is good. Just don't think you're going to take off out of here running. Um, if the spirit moves you, run through the basement um, and uh, walk out the front door. So um, praise God. 
but please be aware of that. So sign up today on that. And then um, come out to Wednesday night. We have, a, we have a tremendous class for all ages. Um, we have a great group of uh, people leading uh, from youth to kids, uh, even to nursery areas. So we want you to know that you are welcome to come and to be part of any aspect of this that you can. And it, it's just going to, not only does it give you the ability to grow deeper into the things of God, um, but it is tremendous fellowship opportunities. So I um, just want to communicate my appreciation for uh, each of our people leading in those different areas. So praise God. Um, at this time, um, we're going to wait upon you for a morning tithes and offering. I know I'm throwing it at you earlier because I don't know what Chad's got for us, and I thought I'm going to get that out of the way now. Brother Jerry and uh, Martha are going to take care of that because I didn't give them advance notice um, that we were doing it that way, but that's a The whole book of Philippians, we're going to cover that. And it'll be a great time. So that's this coming Wednesday, or that last Sunday of the month. Um, and we do, it's a food time. Bring your favorite food dishes. We sit around, eat, and break open the word. It is a great time. So 6.30 that night. And it'll go two hours-ish. Six o'clock that night. 5.30 if you want to come early. So, all right. See, that's why I have lots of help around to make sure I don't miss a time. So praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give. Pray your blessing on our offering and the things that uh, you are doing in the lives of your people. We thank you for their faithfulness. Bless this time in your name. Amen. Praise God. How many of you are excited? All right, a few of you. I'm glad, you know. Now, I know some of you are not overly vocal in the first place. I understand. That's all right. You know, uh, Chad and Katie have been coming to the church, what, about a year and a half now, roughly, maybe a little more. Um, and, and I have been uh, meeting with Chad pretty regularly. Um, and just, I had just been sensing he, he was part of a, um, a Discover Ministry School class that I uh, led um, for a couple units and uh, just really enjoyed the interactions. But I, more than anything, I began to sense that God was doing something um, inside of him. So uh, about a month ago, um, after time of prayer, um, <laughs> I, I walked up to him in the middle of the sanctuary, no advance notice, and said, hey, how would you like to speak on one of the upcoming Sundays? And, uh, and he was sort of taken back just a second. Um, but he said, he said, let me get this out of the way first. Yes. So God was already working there, and, and I'm thankful for that. See, I think God is moving on us a lot more than we, we ever give God credit. We just don't always acknowledge that God's moving. And so at that point, you know, Chad began to prepare, and we had a couple other situations come up. Uh, you know, he uh, was sick a Sunday and um, just some different events. And so we finally have arrived on today. That's why last week I announced it uh, that he was speaking today. Once you put those things in the air, it's going to happen, right? Um, you know, everybody, everything's going to fall in place. And so uh, I'm excited to have Chad, have Chad come and bring the word for us today. So Chad, you come. All right, that's good. Um, thank you guys so much. It's good to be with you. 
Um, before we begin, um, I'd just like to begin with prayer. Uh, if I'm being completely honest and transparent, I'm walking into this with a fair amount of baggage and anxiety uh, from the past week, month, and year. Um, maybe you guys are like me. I'm far too often of walking, waking up each morning and walking into the church with the intent of comfort and routine. So I'm going to pray to selfishly attempt to ease some nerves, uh, but hopefully allow us to prepare our minds. But before I do that, I want to pause for another second. Something else I'm guilty of is jumping right into prayer. I confess to you that I've been a Christian for so long that far too often prayer can become such a trivial thing. Jesus paid our penalty and the curtain is torn, so I understand that the ease of access is there. But before we begin, I really want to take a moment to pause and think about what we are about to do. He who spoke into the universe, into the existence, the God of all creation, has called us and allowed us his ear. The God that slept in the boat only to wake up to tell the sea to be still requires our time and desires our worship. Job 26 paints a humbling picture of the God I am far too often comfortable with. And I would invite you to simply close your eyes and meditate with me on who we were about to come before. He who stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing, he binds up the waters in his thick clouds, his thick clouds, and the cloud that is not split underneath them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled at the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are all but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his power, who can understand? God, you are so good. And I am so thankful that your goodness has nothing to do with my goodness. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, and thank you for Jesus. Please be with us this morning. Help us to honor you. Um, please shut me up and speak and um, help us to open our minds to what you might want to say. Well, like I said, good morning. I'm Chad. Ralph introduced me a little bit. Um, my wife Katie and I have been coming here for about a year and a half. And uh, I want to apologize for being the guest speaker who uses the cliche first message of the armor of God. And I also don't have any cool slides, and I didn't print off any notes, so this is also not starting off very well. This message hopefully is going to be short, and if it's any good, it will be because of A, the grace of God and sovereignty of God, and B, I'm not going to lie, I am fully intending on stealing some of the thoughts of people who are way smarter than I am. I've been blessed to sit under a lot of good preaching over the years. Um, so since I'm new to speaking, I thought I would just share some key points of one of the more impactful sermons I listened to years ago. It comes from a pastor down in Texas named Jesse Reeves. Jesse was and is in the music industry, and uh, he was actually at one time the bassist for Chris Tomlin and helped him co-write some of his more famous songs. It was from him that I heard this incredibly simple two-word split that I'm about to share with you. Other teachers of my life might pop up as well. But a good book I once read once told me that wisdom and safety come with a multitude of counselors. 
Before we dive into the text, here's a brief introduction about me to catch you up on where I've been and what got me here. I was born within the eyesight of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Bible Belt, Virginia. My father was on staff at Liberty University, so we attended the Thomas Road Baptist Church under the tutelage of the late televangelist and founder of Liberty, Dr. Jerry Falwell. My parents used to refer to him as the good doctor. I began in cubbies, moved to Sparky's. Hikers, climbers, pals, and chums, truth and training. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we have no time to get into it this morning. <laughs> Jump start to when I was in first grade. My family packed up from the beautiful mountains of Virginia to the plain cornfields of Ohio. My father had taken a job at Cedarville University. Now, if you don't know anything about Cedarville, it's about 30 minutes from here. And think Mayberry. It's a very small town. We've got three gourmet coffee shops. The barber is the mayor. There's Super Rip, which is our only gas station and also our only grocery store. Lawn chairs was what people sat in when we were getting prepared for our first big fast food chain, which was Subway. It was a big deal. And we have five or six different churches and two and a half traffic lights. The half is because one of them sits in front of the high school and it only operates for half the year. Growing up in a small town, everybody knew each other. There was no excuse to get into trouble. Um, because anyone either worked at the university or they worked at Wright Pat. So if you got in trouble, you'd have to deal with the Southern Baptists or you'd get locked up with the aliens. Get with me after service if you would like to discuss the strange subsect of modern American culture. Fast forward to the awkward years. At the end of my high school uh, career, uh, I had a little bit of stint in student government where I started to learn leadership, and I'd convinced myself that I wanted to be a pastor because I liked the attention. And I wanted everybody to see me as this holy, barrel-chested man of God. Great reason to enter ministry. I love pastors like Mark Driscoll, who aggressively reamed into guys to act like men. I wanted to be that guy, to inspire men to be tough guys for Jesus. So I traveled across the street to continue my education, which began very strong. After almost failing out of a freshman speech class, failing out of half a semester of New Testament Greek and skipping so many chapels where my father, the dean of men, had to get involved, and the general lack of sense of identity one gets from being flushed into the pond that is a Bible college. The Holy Spirit was graciously enough to kick me down several notches through many years of clinical depression and people who were way smarter than I was who told me it was not my time. I'm very thankful for that. After college, I had a quick stint in Austin, Texas, working for a ministry, moved back home, and married my lovely wife, Katie, who I apologize, but I just wanted to clear the air. Uh, I'm not as suave as Ralph. There is, in fact, no Schmidt lurking in the foyer this Sunday to serenade you. My sincerest condolences. We got married, and we started looking for a house church, for a home church. Um, we stumbled upon several different, and then through some really cool circumstances, we ended up here, and we're very thankful to be here with you guys. I share all of this to, A, introduce myself a little bit better, and B, prove that the sentence, I've been a Christian my whole life, doesn't really mean much in the face of eternity. Just so you know, this message, if at all successful, will hopefully succeed in labeling me as the world's biggest fool and the most noteworthy hypocrite. I said at the beginning of this that I was walking in with a great amount of baggage and anxiety. It's actually funny, Ralph kind of mentioned um, his side of the story. Uh, several weeks back, 
Uh, Katie and I were sitting in the back as we do, and I was just trying to blend it through the back. I was not doing well. Um, really wasn't. We were really busy. Uh, my wife and I were in the process of stumbling through trying to purchase our first home, um, which a couple weeks ago, thank God we finally signed on the dotted line. So we are officially homeowners, and now we are doing home renovations. So you can pray, us, pray for us in that. Work was really hard. Um, my evenings were being spread thin through juggling work with scheduling and ordering uh, bedtime rituals with Brennan. And uh, I also had the idea to install an HVAC system right outside of his bedroom. So I had to be really quiet, and it was snowing. It did not work well. On top of all of that, Brennan started teething. So we were swamped, exhausted, and I just wanted to not have to do anything. And along comes Ralph. And he comes up and just really coolly, as he does to everyone, introduced, hey, you know, how are you doing? You know, thanks for being here. And I just kind of ring him into him and tell him, hey, I'm not doing well. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I don't know what's going on. And he's just smiling. And he said, okay, you want to preach? And my first thought was not yes. My first thought was no. Um, and uh, like he said, Brennan uh, was sick several weeks back. So we were supposed to, I was supposed to preach about two weeks ago. But um, that happened to be the Sunday where he spoke about kicking people into the pool. So I got the message. We're here. It's finally happening. You can leave me alone now. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, if I'm being honest, I feel unprepared and unworthy. When he had asked me, my first thought was, when was the last time I consistently read my Bible? I don't know if anyone else has had a similar experience, but last year was pretty rough for Katie and I. Not as rough as many has had it, but it was still a dark season. There were many amazing things that happened, one of those being Brennan being born. Um, but when quarantine, when quarantine first started, I was on track further than I had ever been. I had a group of guys, and we were being accountable with each other to make sure that we were reading our Bible. But at some point throughout the year, I let my worries and anxieties get the best of me. I'm so guilty of when times get hard or scary to turn to my own strength when I become overwhelmed. And the truth is, that rarely proves enough. So where's all this going? Chad, why are you telling this? Good question. <laughs> Last year was hard, and this year isn't proving to be much brighter. So what are we supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? You see, we have an enemy that loves to get us in states like these. When we are downtrodden, distracted, he loves to attack our minds and place doubt. Think back to the garden. Satan rarely is so blunt in attempting to disarm us, but instead, his deception of Adam and Eve was brought about by placing doubt in their already searching minds. Did God actually say? He sneaks in and causes us to lose sight of how beautiful God is, how perfect his plan and his way. After all, any and all sin is simply a misunderstanding of how beautiful and worthy our creator is. So what are we to do? Psalm 73 paints a picture of a weary believer frustrated by the darkness of the world. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. We're going to be in Ephesians this morning. And uh, this should be a familiar passage for most of us. But just because something is familiar doesn't mean that it isn't profitable. We're going to read this whole passage, but don't worry. We will only be dealing with three words from it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand therefore. Stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and that your word stands on its own apart from whoever is reading it. Um, I pray that we would um, just listen this morning, and that we would uh, learn what you are attempting to teach us. One second. So let's talk about the helmet of salvation, and let's break it down into very simple terms. Both sides of this have implications for who was responsible for each half. You ready? We have the helmet of salvation. So we have the helmet and salvation. There we go. So we'll start with the helmet. What do helmets do? They protect your head. What else do they protect? Your face, your eyes, your nose, your ears, your neck. Uh, I've worn many helmets in my life. Uh, back in college, I did a lot of rock climbing, most of it in a gym, but we would go outside. You have to wear a helmet because you don't want to pull rocks onto your head or to your buddy's head. Work sites, you have to wear a hard hat so that I-beams don't fall and knock you unconscious. Back in the day, warriors would wear helmets so that when they're storming the castle, they could uh, deflect rocks and everything else that was falling on top of them. Long and short, helmets keep you from bonking your head. But helmets protect more than just your eyes, your nose, your neck. They protect your brain your thoughts. Your brain is where you have your worries and fears and doubts. It's where we have our processes, decisions we make. It's how we learn and consume information. It's how we communicate with other people. It's where we judge and analyze and reason. It's where we store our theology. So if helmets protect, then how do we protect? Several weeks back, Ralph spoke on David and Goliath, a story we're all familiar with. Against all odds, a boy went up against the fiercest warrior in all the land and took him down in the name of the God of Israel. David had faith, but what did he also have? Five little rocks. David had come prepared. So, how do we prepare? This is not complicated. We must go to Scripture. Pay close attention to the references I'm about to read and try and see the, the, the thread that we're taking through with this helmet of salvation. In Romans 12, 2, I'm going to read through these quickly. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Renewing your mind is literally taking off and putting on something new. In Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above not on the things that are earth. Seek and set are words that popped out. 
This requires action on our part. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This one's hard for me. Remember, I grew up in Sparky's. I am predestined to think that Bible memorization is for stickers in my booklet and jewels in my snap-on badge. It takes special training to get past that. And lastly, in Philippians, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So why is knowing the scripture so important in our fight to wear the helmet of salvation? The answer is very easy to all of this because that's what Jesus did. Scripture is pretty clear about how Jesus chose to combat the enemy's attacks. And wouldn't you know it, it's pretty simple. We're going to Matthew 4. If you want to read along with me for just a minute, we're going to take a look at what Jesus did when he was encountering Satan. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and he will lift you up with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Jesus, our model and author of our faith, was hungry, thirsty, dirty, tired, baked from the sun. And all of a sudden, then and only then, did Satan see an access point. Surely, if Jesus had a chink in his armor, now was the time for action. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, what does he do? He didn't call down angels. He didn't start swinging at Satan. Scripture tells us he simply quoted Deuteronomy. And then Scripture says, and then the devil left him. We have to prepare our minds for war. And that can be hard for me, a guy like me who has grown up in the church. And if I'm being totally honest and brutally honest, sometimes I find myself tuning out when I hear something that I've heard before. Sadly, and somehow the gospel can become so commonplace if you take it for granted as something that is known. Putting on the helmet means priming our mind with the gospel. Jesus can't be at the forefront of our lives unless we put him there. Author Jerry Bridges puts it this way, that we must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. So what? Reading the same book, hopefully every day, grants power in my life? Doesn't seem accurate. Most people would agree that the Bible is probably a good book. Milton Vincent has written a probably good book, and it's called A Gospel Primer. And he has this to say. Outside of heaven, the power of God in its highest density is found inside the gospel. This must be so, 
For the Bible twice describes the gospel as the power of God. Nothing else in all of Scripture is ever described in this way except for the person of Jesus Christ. Such a description indicates that the gospel is not only powerful, but that it has the ultimate entity in which God's power resides and does its greatest work. Indeed, God's power is seen in erupting volcanoes in the unimaginably hot boil of our massive sun and in the lightning speed of a recently discovered star seen streaking through the heavens at 1.5 million miles per hour. Yet in Scripture, such wonders are never labeled as the power of God. How powerful, then, must the gospel be that it would merit such a title? And how great is the salvation it could accomplish in my life if I would only embrace it by faith and give it a central place in my thoughts each day? If we are to put Christ at the forefront of our minds, everything becomes so much simpler. It doesn't necessarily become easily, easier. In fact, it rarely does. We will get into that here in a little bit. But life becomes so simple when Jesus becomes our great if. Life can be swirling around us, but if Christ is our great if, then we have found our anchor in the midst of the waves. So what does the if in our lives mean? If the Bible is true, then I can trust God at his word. If I can trust God at his word, then I can trust in the person of Jesus Christ. If I can trust in the person of Jesus, then... I can follow his teaching on how to live my life. If I can follow his teaching, then I can trust in the finality of his sacrifice. And if I can trust in the finality of his sacrifice, then I don't have to restart my salvation cycle every time I fall short. How easy it is to forget that Jesus only had to die on the cross once. You see, so often I find myself stopping at the helmet portion of this armor that I'm supposed to be wearing. Let's read the opener again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Take the helmet. I love the wording of this passage because it indicates that we must actively put on each and every portion of this armor to be able to stand therefore. The fact that this whole passage starts with an action verb has very important implications. Put on indicates that the start point begins without. We do not start out with the armor of God on. We are not born with it. This is something that intentionally necessitates action. But I'm so thankful that the gospel does not hinge on my ability to take action. The gospel does not begin, nor does it end, with our ability to take action. How we interact with the gospel does. But thank the God that the gospel stands apart from our internally, from our earthly endeavors which brings us to the second and more important half of this grouping. The helmet is our part. We must put this on. But salvation is God's part. We can't do anything. But a quick sidestep. This has been my experience in church. Um, Keep in mind, I grew up a good Baptist boy in Lynchburg, Virginia. Salvation for me has historically been in the past tense. When were you saved? When were you baptized? I challenge us to view salvation in three tenses, past, present, and future. Too often, I think people stop at the past tense. We see it as our get-out-of-hell-free card. He saved us from the penalty of sin, past tense. But we can't stop there. A moment of conversion means very little if that's where it all stops. If we are saved, truly saved, then we must be saved from something. 
He saves us from the power of sin present. Think back to the beginning when I said that any and all sin is always simply a misunderstanding of how beautiful and worthy our creator is. If we, are, if we put Christ at the forefront of our minds, if we are dwelling on him as our sustainer, if we are finding joy in him, sin finds a much smaller place in our lives. And finally, he will save us from the presence of sin. Salvation. We know this story. It's the gospel. The great answer to our if-then questions. If Christ died on the cross to take away our sins, then Romans 8 tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But maybe you find yourself in a daily struggle like I do, of attempting to earn my salvation through my actions. After all, this passage today is all about how we can equip ourselves for battle, right? But I catch myself focused on where I'm at. Do we see how easy it is for the enemy to come in and attack us if we only stay at our half of this call to action? Maybe in your worst moments you find yourself thinking questions like, it's just a season. I've just got to make it through this time and then blank. I can truly worship if I first do this or this. I can't worship or my worship doesn't count as much unless I fix these areas in my life. God couldn't use a simple guy like me. I've got to fix myself first, and then he can use me. Does anybody else struggle with feeling like this? Feeling like we are fully able to approach the throne of God because of who we are or who we have been. Can I offer some encouragement? Let's take a moment to talk about the guy who wrote this. Ephesians, along with Romans and a good majority of the New Testament, was written by one guy guy named Paul. Most of what I read today was actually written by Paul, but Paul was not always named Paul. Before he put on the helmet of salvation, before Paul was saved, past tense, his name was Saul. Let's see what type of man Saul was. And Willie, you can come back up at this time. This is in Acts 7. After Stephen, the first martyr, gave his famous speech, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And going down a little bit here. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Can anybody else relate to this? Has anyone else been there? So what's the big deal? Why bring this up? Chad, that's a little macabre, a little dark, maybe a little too spicy for Sunday morning. I don't know about you, but I find so much comfort in the fact that by the grace of God, the guy who wrote, there is therefore now no condemnation against those who are in Christ Jesus, was the same guy who before he chose to put on the armor of God, before he was saved, used to kill Christians. It's not a mistake that the holy God of the universe would use a guy like that to write the majority of the New Testament. Now, we don't have time to get into how Saul was given a new name, but let's fast forward and see what happens when Paul put on the helmet of salvation. 
Remember earlier when I said that putting Jesus at the forefront makes this simpler, simpler but very rarely easier. 2 Corinthians kind of gives us a brief look into it. I'm not going to read all of it, but these are some things that Paul encountered. Labors, imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. He was whipped five times, beaten with rods three times. He was stoned once. Three times he was shipwrecked, a night and a day, adrift at sea. Frequent journeys and danger from rivers, robbers, his own people, Gentiles, danger in the city from the wilderness, the sea, false brothers, toil and hardship, sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all those other things, he says, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So how does Paul go from Acts 7 to 2 Corinthians and all these hardships? You see, Paul took a little trek on the road to Damascus and got saved. But he didn't stop there. So why did Paul stick through it? Why didn't he walk away? 2 Timothy, again, written by Paul, gives us some helmet implications here. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. If we look closer at the verse, we see all three tenses of salvation here. I am not ashamed for I know, that's the helmet that we put on. I know, he knows it, What a whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Philippians tells us that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God has saved us, it's true. And we must put on this helmet. It's a both-and relationship. And finishing Romans 8, and then we're done. Romans 8, where he said, there is therefore now no condemnation. He wraps up showing us what wearing this helmet accomplishes in our life. What wearing this helmet secures for us one of the most comforting passages in all of Scripture. Again, he says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bow your heads with me if you would. of salvation. Paul's Damascus Road experience was a confrontation with the Jesus he was persecuting. that Paul heard was where Paul or Saul saw why are you persecuting me see each one of us as we gather here today we are on one side of the cross or the other we are we are either in a position where we have allowed the cross to transform us we've allowed 
Jesus to make us new or we're on the other side of the cross where we've not yet had that moment in our lives where we've acknowledged our need for a Savior. In our world today, there are many that think, uh, I'm doing all right for myself. Why would I need a Savior? The reason is you can do as all right for yourself as you want in this world, but in the end, um, all right just means you live in this world in such a way that this world says you're okay, but it's not going to take you any further. See, when Jesus says, well done, you're more than just all right. See, our goal in the church is not to present you all right to the world. It is to present you well done to a Savior. And so if you don't know Jesus here this morning, if you've not confessed your sins, if you've not come to a place of saying, God, I need to change how I live, that's you, then today is the opportunity for you to make a confession, to make a decision to follow Jesus. thing in this world is to have lived your entire life in this world just being okay with everyone around you and not in a relationship with the God who created you. To not know the, the Jesus who gave his life for you. So I invite you today to a moment of confession, a moment where you come forward and you stand at this altar and you acknowledge before God that you need a Savior to ask Jesus Christ to come in and to be the Lord and Master of your life. To say that you need someone to help you navigate the things of this world in such a way that there is more to live for than just what you can acquire here. So if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never asked him to come in and to be the, the master, the ruler of your life, if you've never asked him to forgive you for all the things you've done wrong, I don't, I don't care who you are in this world, um, you make mistakes. You've done things wrong. And this is our opportunity before God to make things right. 
It's the beginning process. Every day we have to put on the helmet of salvation and as we do so, God begins to make us aware of things that need to happen in our life. But today I want to invite you to the beginning process to ask Jesus to come in and to be your Lord and to be your Savior, to change you, to transform you. And so while um, Willie plays and sings for us here this morning, I'm going to be up here, and I'm just going to invite you to come, and I'll pray with you. And we'll, we'll have others that are ga- will gather with us as well. So as uh, our prayer warriors, our elders, uh, as different ones come, you just step out and pray with them. You'll not be alone. Just like in this world, when we make that decision to follow Jesus, we're no longer alone. He, he is with us, but we also, as a body of believers, walk beside you. That's our goal. That's our desire. Let's pray for a moment, and then I'm just going to invite you to come. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the ability that it can penetrate um, our hearts. Today, I I pray that the the hard shells have been broken around the the hearts of people that are not walking in relationship with you right now, and that they are, are ready to come to a place of submission to your presence, to acknowledge you in their lives. And so uh, today, we're going to invite them to come. And we thank you that you've already been moving on hearts today. We ask you to, to draw people to your presence here. We ask for this in your name. Amen. So as Willie sings, I just invite you to come. If you need need to make a decision to follow Jesus for a first time or if you need to rededicate your heart to Christ, you come. If you need someone to come with you, grab that person sitting next to you. Say, walk with me. We're just going to worship for a little bit. Just begin.
begin to worship and pray for those who haven't responded yet. You just come. If the Holy Spirit is moving you, you respond today. And let's uh, let's just sing out this song here. He picked me up and he turned me around. He placed my feet on solid ground. It makes me wanna shout, Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus, Lord, you're worthy of when I think about the Lord and how He saved me. Um, there should be that thought process going on on a regular basis that God did something in our lives and that you have been saved for a purpose. <laughs> that you have been saved because God loved you so much that He sent His one and only Son to die for you. That you were so special. That you were so precious. I have one son. And I have I have three daughters, and I, I value all of them equally, regardless of what they may say. Um, but I cannot imagine giving 
even one of my children for a world that hated me and abused me. And yet God was willing to give his one and only son to provide a passage that we would have the opportunity to experience life. And one of the comments I read this week that I thought was so good, we know that God loved His Son so much. But in His willingness to give that one thing that was so precious to Him, it also communicated the value that God places on each one of you. On me. That God loved me so much that He was willing to send His Son that... um, this 16-year-old boy could have an encounter with a loving God. He loved me so much. So I want you to think about the things that God has done in your life. And, and, and even as Chad shared, you know, last week, last year, this year, hasn't been easy. It's a challenge. Life is difficult. (laughs) We are always going to have challenges placed before us. The issue is not whether or not we will have those challenges, it's how we will approach them. And when we place the helmet of salvation on, and it literally is able to protect our thought life, it is able to guard us. to take on that challenge in a new way. So, Father, thank you for the word, for the encouragement. Thank you for uh, Chad being willing to share his heart with us today. Father, and I just pray. I know that there are more out there, whether they be watching us online, whether they be here. Father, I know that there are those that your spirit is moving on today that you're calling them out by name (laughs) that your spirit is moving on them and, and nudging them to respond to your voice I pray that they would take a moment and reach out to someone here at the church, to a friend, a fellow believer, and be able to say, pray with me. I need to make things right with Jesus. Father, thank you for this word and what it has done in our lives. Bless it, multiply it, and send it out to reach um, those that need to hear the message of salvation. We thank you. We ask for this in your name. Amen. God bless you today. Um, We are so thankful for you being here, and I just want you to uh, greet one another in the Lord. And... uh, Make sure you just uh, uh, 
Just tell Chad he did a great job with the message today. God bless you.